So today we're in a, a message, uh, as you can see, dreams, reality, and calling. Dreams, reality, and calling. And by that, uh, it got me to thinking a, a couple of weeks ago, um, I'm, a, I'm a night owl, so I don't usually go to bed at the same time as my wife goes to bed. So I, I usually stay up much later than her. And, and back when we, early on in our marriage, I would wake her up whenever I would stay up like that. And I'd come to bed and, and she'd be like, Arr! you know, and roll over. She didn't growl, but uh, she, yeah. But now she doesn't wake up anymore. She just sleeps right on through. And so now I go to bed and I have to move the dog. Uh, so I get the dog out of my spot uh, and I'm able to lay down. Normally it's uneventful. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a week ago, I'm not sure which, but um, my wife was, well, she was having a nightmare. I believe it was a nightmare. It was uh, certainly a bad dream. And y'all may be wondering, why does he keep flipping around? Yeah, that's why. I'm trying to get to that screen. And I can't see it on the, over there anymore. So so she was, as soon as I lay down in the bed, and, as soon as I got the dog out of the bed and I lay down, she starts to scream. And it's very much like you would scream. And it sounded like she was muffled. Like, like something like that. You know? I was like, she doesn't usually do that. Normally, she's, she doesn't snore. I'm the one apparently that snores. But she, normally, she's just sound asleep. But this time, she's like making all these wild noises i didn't know what's going on and and i think she's having a nightmare so what do you do what do you do when somebody i, I didn't know I, I still don't I'm not really sure i started to shake her and i said no you better not do that she might hit you and i thought well the, what do you I, I really i didn't know what to do to, to get her out of this because it kept it went on and on and on to the point where the dogs the dog is like what's, what's happening like they're they're freaking out and they're wondering like what's going on and, and finally i said well let me just, just put my hand on her and like shaker but i'm not gonna do that so i just put my hand there and said are you okay and she woke up just just like that now i thought it was because i had because of my touch but unfortunately the next day she told me no the dog had stuck her right they went nose to nose and uh that was why it wasn't it wasn't me and my care it was actually the dog uh but anyway uh the next day she told me that she was having a nightmare she was having a nightmare and she was stuck in it and she wasn't sure and i may not get the quite exactly right, but this is the way I remember her explaining to me, that she wasn't sure if it was a dream or if it was reality. You ever have a dream like that or a nightmare like that where you're not sure? You even have a conversation with yourself. I should pinch myself to make sure this is a dream, right? I mean, I've done that in a dream before, and, and still I'm not sure, you know, okay, I pinch myself, and but that doesn't, that's not true, by the way. At least it's not in my, my experience anyway. So anyway, so she tells me the story, and it was a true story of something that actually happened when she was a kid, and she was stuck in it again. And it was scary. And it was scary back then, and it was scary again. And, and so she's screaming in this in her in her dream. Well, she can't scream because she's her voice is muffled. And and I I didn't think to tell her. Well, it was because the dog was right in your face because you couldn't scream because it was like the dog was right there. Anyway, uh, Abraham, she couldn't tell the dream from reality. And that's where we find Abram in our story of Genesis. You may think, where is he going with that? Because Abram's in a living a dream. And he's not, but in reality, at the same time, and we find it that it's not always the easiest thing to maneuver the dream, reality, and in a sense of where his calling is. So we have Abram, Abram, not Abraham, right? He has, he's not become Abraham yet. He is still Abram. And in, if you remember last week in verses uh, one through three, we had this. 
The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This was a, a beautiful promise that God had put upon Abram. Right? Beautiful word. I mean, can you imagine having those words spoken over you by the creator of the universe? That your name is going to be great. You are going to be a blessing. I am going to give you a land. Right? We talked last week that this was God's call for Abram. And, and while Abram has this reputation of having fantastic faith, the reality is that his faith is pretty human. When you think about it that his faith is pretty pedestrian, right? Because he had nothing. He had nothing, and God is saying, I'm going to give you everything. Follow me. As you follow me, as you go with me, Abram, I'm going to give you all kinds of blessings. Who wouldn't say yes to that? Who would? I mean, some of you sitting here, you know that that, you know where you were when God called you. You were down and out. You were hopeless. God called you to hope. Of course you were going to say yes. Whether it was a friend telling you about Jesus, it was a, it was a, it heard something on the radio or whatever it was, of course you were going to give Jesus a shot because you had no other choice. That's where Abram is. And he's invited into this dream. This call to hope was actually a call to a dream. Called out of his old life into a beautiful promise of a relationship with God. What did it require of Abram? Nothing. Nothing. God said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Didn't say, you're going to clean, get your stuff straight, and then I'm going to come back and we'll, I'll, we'll talk. No. God says, I'm doing this. Go with me. Go where I send you. As we talked about last week, that's when the difficulty comes. Of a Christian life, you know, we think, or people may say that being a Christian is easy. You're supposed to take care of all your problems. No. It actually makes your problems more difficult. Because then, now you're put in places of conflict. Like, as a Christian, you see the world differently than everybody else. You all of a sudden have these, this new filter put in front of you. That you're, that a call to salvation, yes, but the call to come and walk with me is the part that, that, frankly, causes us problems. Because now I have decisions to make. Can I go with God there? Does doing that honor him? Before, you never questioned. You never even thought about, should I do that or should not? Now, all of a sudden, you have all these choices to make. All the, the people who are going to be affected by your decisions, because last year, you didn't care. This year, all of a sudden, you have opinions of what we're going to do at Christmas time. This year, you say you want us to go to church at Christmas Eve. Well, we've never done that before. This year, at Easter, we're, we're not just hiding eggs. We're actually going to read the Bible. Like, like whoever does, who does that? We've never done that in our family before. Like, like, when you become to Christ, traditions of your family are now put in conflict. Your life, your work, your relationships, your marriage, all those things are now seen through a different lens. Because you're supposed to follow God. It's a call to simplicity. We talked about it last week. Although it is far from simple. 
It's actually very difficult. That's where we find Abram. Called into a beautiful promise, and yet it doesn't quite look like a promise. In verse 10 of Genesis chapter 12, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. A severe problem, a serious problem for Abram, right? Now, we don't understand much about the concept of a famine these days because, frankly, we just go to the grocery store, and if they don't have, well, we don't. they don't have this, we get that, right? You know, if they don't have uh, this brand, then we get a different brand. To help us think about the idea of a famine, think back to April when you wanted toilet paper, and there was none. Or May when you wanted Clorox, and there was none. Or maybe it was June when you wanted sausage for breakfast, but it was going to cost you $8 a pound, and you thought, no, it's not worth $8 a pound, right? Because, no, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm going to do without, right? That's kind of what it was like. But different at the same time, because, because they didn't, when in a time of a famine, all you had was all you had. You didn't have a storehouse. You'd already gone through that. Like, like there was nothing stored. There were no stores. There wasn't an option to get chicken when the beef was too expensive. No, in times of famine, fresh water was limited. So crops didn't exist. And frankly, because there was, no, there was a lack of water, lives wouldn't exist for long either. People died or they left. It wasn't a matter of being inconvenienced. It was just impossible. So they thought. This was a serious problem. But what about God's promise? Wasn't his promise still there? What happened to God's promise in all this? The land that he promised. I mean, many of us would be tempted to question, what is God up to when things aren't looking like that? When, when my 401k is down 10, 15%, like, what's, what's going on here? Is the God, what's going on, God? When there's, no, when there's no toilet paper, Lord, help me, right? Like, how many of us didn't question God in the midst of this pandemic that we've been in? We do. We do that. I just challenge you with this, to remember that your situation doesn't define your spirituality. Where you are, like, what you're experiencing now does not define your relationship with God. We say it every week when, when we close with our benediction, that that wherever you are in life, right, wherever you are, good times, bad times, hard times, wherever you are, that this is the perfect place to walk with Christ. That's what, we, that's what that benediction means, that no matter where I'm at, it's the perfect opportunity to walk with Christ. Let me remember that. Let me go and live that out. Your situation being where you are, not who you are may not seem like the place that God may want you to be. That may be true, but it doesn't define, where you are does not define your relationship with God. It's defined by where you put your faith, where you worship, who you worship. That's what defines you. So, so let me ask you this. It's defined by how you answered that first call, that call to salvation. That defines you. Abraham had, or Abram had said yes to God. But here in the heat of the moment, what does he do? He does the same thing that you and I are probably apt to do. 
takes his eyes off of God, and he puts them on, and he focuses on his situation, on his con, on his. I mean, he he sees everything that's going on, and and he says, "I got to come up with a plan." He does. He comes up with a plan, a, a pretty ugly plan. Verses eleven through thirteen. He was about to enter Egypt. He said to his wife Sarah, "I know that what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say." This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. So say you're my sister, so that I will be well treated for your sake, and that my life will be spared because of you. Abram panicked. He panicked. I mean, things were bad, but instead of trusting God to be faithful, to, to trust God and stay where he had called me to be, I'm going to go down to Egypt. And on the way, he's like, oh, as a Pharaoh down there. I didn't think about him. Uh, they might kill me and take me. So instead, he prepares. He comes up with a plan. And gentlemen, you know this this is always the way to do it, is that when you come up with a plan that's going to include your wife, you always start with a with a compliment. You always start with a compliment. Even bad plans. You could start with a compliment. Right? That's what he did. He said, oh, babe, you are so beautiful. You are looking fine today. Right? <laughs> that's just that's where he was. And then he says, see, fear can make us do things that we know are not right. Fear can make us do things that we know are not right. Fear of man, fear of our situation. There's a story of, of fear in the, in the New Testament of, of one of Jesus' closest disciples who, who, who experiences fear. Jesus has uh, been with his disciples, and he says, hey, you fellas, y'all going across the Red Sea, and I'm going to join you over there, but first I'm going to stay here and pray, right? And so they hop in the boat, and they take off across the sea, and they're paddling or sailing or whatever they're doing. And uh, right before daylight, uh, Jesus walks out on the water to them, and they think he's a ghost, right? And they all get afraid. And, and Peter who says, oh, no, that's Jesus. Matter of fact, Jesus, call me to come out to you, and I will, and I will walk out on the water like you. So Jesus calls him. Out of the boat, Peter goes, walking out to Jesus. Only then did he see the waves and the water for what they were, something that was supernatural that he was doing. He loses his focus on Jesus, and he begins to sink. And verse 31 of Matthew 14 says, Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, and said, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? It seems logical to doubt. It's obvious why you would come up with a better plan. Peter kept his eyes on Jesus? Who knows? If Abram had trusted God and stayed with him, remained with him in the desert, Instead, though, his faith wavered. Instead, his faith cracked. God's plan had not changed. Abram had changed. And there's a reminder for us all is only fear those who can change God's plan. Only fear those who can alter God's plan. You're facing big problems? Problems like Abram in life? There will always be reasons to doubt, to question. There's always, 
ample opportunities to doubt and question things. But remember, what did God call you to? Several years ago when I had a, a really bad experience in the church, and I was very close to just, I don't know what I was going to do. But I went to a mentor of mine, a friend of mine, who had, who had spoken into my life many times in the past. And I, I kind of told her everything that had happened, and I told her where I was spiritually, that I was ready to just to pack it all up and just be done with it. And she asked me words that I'll never forget that have always come back have been words of comfort to me. She asked me, she said, Gary, what are you called to? called to that's a powerful word what are no matter how bad things get what are you called to the two callings that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks the call to salvation and a call to follow that every christian's given call to salvation call to follow see we have the benefit of knowing the story here with a he did he didn't he was experiencing it real time he was experiencing things. He didn't know that he was out of step with God. He thought he was doing the right thing, as far as we can tell from Scripture. He's, he's going to know soon enough. But right in this moment, everything is coming together just as he had planned. Look at it in verse 14. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman, and when, Pharaoh's, when the Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep, cattle, and male and female donkeys, and male and female servants, and camels. Everything was coming together. Wow! Abram's probably like, man, I am smart. I am, I'm the smartest guy I know, he's probably thinking. Look how it all worked out. Pharaoh blesses him. So, of course, I'm doing what God wants me to do. Of course, I'm in God's will. Why would he question that? Of course, when you think that way, you don't really consider <laughs> what he's done to his wife. It was an ugly plan, remember? What did he do to his wife? He gave her to be a part of a harem. Ladies, you don't have to answer, but I'm fairly certain that she did not see that as a wise decision. I'm just guessing. But she probably didn't see the wisdom in it like Abram did. Right? No, absolutely not. He was, he was charged to, they were one flesh, right? He was to protect her and honor her and protect her. All those things, like that's, he was hers. She was his. Yet, he turned her over. Abram certainly would be tempted, just as you and I are, to think that God was affirming his plan. I mean, that is the measure that we use for all our decisions, right? If good comes of it, it, it we must be in step with God, right? Isn't that, isn't that what you do? To, you tell yourself? If it worked out, if it, it must be God's will, right? If we succeed, then it must be God's plan. If our business is successful, if our candidate wins, by goodness, then we must be in God's will. If we win the game. If we're healed, if we get out of it, personal one, if you get out of an accident unscathed, you must be in God's will. Good outcomes equal God's approval, obviously. 
Couldn't be anything more wrong, I don't think. It's That's like some twisted version of some Christian karma in reverse or something. That's all that is. That's a way to, to make ourselves feel better. If good happens, what have I done to please God? Right? James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift is from coming from our Father. So that's true, that everything good that comes into your life is a blessing from God. But don't cons- cons- conflict, confuse, blessing for approval. Just because you're experiencing God's blessing does not mean you have God's approval. I mean, we know this, right, when we stop and think about it. Think of the people that we know who have money, who have power, who have influence, who are not living lives that in any way reflect the holiness of God. How do you explain that? Well, scripture does. Scripture says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, that, the, that wealth come to the righteous and the unrighteous. That's what Scripture says. As a different way of looking at our wealth, of the things, the blessings that we have that have come through our lives, we are to see success as God's favor, to be respected, to draw us to Him. To actually, when God blesses us, the, in Scripture, the, the teaching is that, that when God blesses you, so you'll look and find the blesser, find the one who sent the blessing, to draw you to Him. Not for us to think more highly of ourselves than Proverbs 11. Reminds us that those who depend on their wealth will fall like leaves of autumn, but the righteous will prosper like the leaves of summer. Our wealth or our lack of it isn't a sign of God's endorsement. It isn't a sign of of anything. It is his favor. Don't, don't Don't hear what I'm not saying. But it's his favor that demands respect, demands our worship, demands our submission. When we receive material blessings into our lives, we're to be thankful and to use it for God's purpose. Otherwise, God might humble us in order for us to teach us that he's the source of all things, not our craftiness, not our great ideas. It's God. Because Adam, I mean, Abram is a faithful man. He follows, he seeks to follow God. Even when he messes up, he's seeking to follow God. This is what happens in our story. That he gets, that yes, God blesses, God's favor is upon him. But it doesn't mean he made the right choice. Doesn't mean he made the right choice. And we see it play out right here in, in verses 17 through 20. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and the household and his household because of Abraham. Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. See, right when Abram thought everything was coming together, the reality is, is that everything was falling apart. Everything fell apart. We don't know what happened, but but Pharaoh knew that Pharaoh recognized this as a as a judgment from God, right? 
Pharaoh recognized this. We don't know how the sickness came about, but it did. Pharaoh understand it immediately as divine, divine judgment. Abram had been blessed by God. You remember? You remember this? Back in verses 2 and 3? I don't know if I have them up here. Yeah. You remember this? I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. I'll, you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the people of the earth we bless through you. Now, do you think that Abram would get a chance to be a blessing to Pharaoh in the future? you think that Pharaoh is going to listen to anything Abram has to say about his God who is? you think? I don't. I think Abram would say, oh, it's that guy again. Right? The guy who gave me his wife and told me it was his sister. I'm not listening to anything he said. Abram had ruined his witness by getting out of step with God's plan. Abram was to be a, was blessed to be a blessing. But because he went on his own way instead of God's, he was actually making it harder to be a blessing for others to receive the blessing that God had intended to give through him. Because he had said, oh no, it's my way. I know what God wants. This is the truth for us. The shortcuts always lead people out. When we take short, when we take spiritual shortcuts, we cut people out of God's plan. God's plan is about people. People get priority in Him with God. God sent His Son Jesus to save. People, not ideas, not possessions, not governments, but individual sinners of which you and I are. Abraham is off track, and he's been shown it by Pharaoh. He's been considered a man of great faith all along the way. That's why his story is here. A man who is consistently striving to honor God. So, so we don't know, we don't, we have no reason to think that, that Abram was just doing this to be selfish, right? No, he was probably doing it to be, oh, thank you. He was probably doing it to be in step with God. He was, Abram was probably went to Egypt because, you know what? There's a drought going on, and God has said, I was gonna be that he was gonna bless the world through me, so I gotta protect me. I gotta keep me. Okay, I gotta stay alive for God's blessing, right? We can see how that would work itself out, that he would think that way. Instead of thinking, boy, I'm thirsty. I wonder how God's gonna do this. Right? He didn't think that. He thought about preserving himself, even if it meant giving away his wife. Who would be the way that all those offspring would come about, right? Instead of remaining where God had sent him, he felt that he needed to do something. I gotta do something. Anything. Anything is better than nothing. You told yourself that. Not always, if God has called you. See, his faith faltered. And in this season, God was not enough. Ever been there? I have. But being fortunately, being thrown out by Pharaoh, it got his attention. It got his attention, and now he's he's getting back on track with God. 
So he heads back into the land of the Negev. What scripture calls it? Land of the Negev. Now the word Negev is is good. We'll get to it. So Abram went up from Egypt. Haven't? Did I already go through it? I already missed it already. There. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become a very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and I, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. I love these names of places in Scripture, the, the power that's there in them. The land of dryness is what the Negev is. Dryness. He goes back into the desert, back into the land of nothing, where God is leading. He goes to a place between Bethel, which is the house of God, and Ai, which is a place of ruin. You get that? He goes between the house of God, and a place of ruin because he's a broken man and builds an altar and calls on the name of the Lord. He's not back where God wants him, but he's he's left the place of ruin and he builds an altar to the to God and calls on the name of the Lord. Why? Because he's, he's, he's in repentance. His heart has been turned to God. No, he didn't do things the way God wanted him, but he sees that and he repents. Psalm 51, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Looking back is sometimes the best way for us to move forwards. Looking back to where, and that's where he goes. He goes back to where he started, back to where he got off track to get back on track. The presence of God. Back to God's plan. Admitting that, man, I thought, I thought my plan was where it was at, but, but maybe it wasn't. Something to remember is that God's plan was planned by God. It's going to be hard to improve on it. God's plan was, in, was planned by God. It's going to be hard to, to make it better than what it was to begin with. Abram realizes that and goes back to where God called him. I should remember that. I need to trust that. No matter what my circumstances look like, no matter what the desert I'm in is like, if God has put me there, then I should remain, be willing to remain there. Not, not to overthink things, but actually to hold on to the simplicity of God's call on our life to salvation, calling us out of where we were, the doctor Luke wrote in Acts 2.21 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That God calls all people out of where they are. If you're a Christian, you answer this call, then you immediately walk into the, the second facet or the second layer of that call, and that is to follow me, to come. That call to simplicity we talked about last week. That call to reorient everything about your life to following him. No matter how things, it may not make sense. But to be faithful, like Abram, figured it out. I'm sure that for some of us, we hear this, yeah, but 
Yeah, but you don't know how far off track I've got. Maybe. Maybe I don't. But I do remember a story in Scripture of a father and a son. His, his father loved his son, and, and one day the son left and went away and took all that he had, and he blew it all, partying and whoring and, and drugging and drinking and doing all that stuff, right? Found himself broke, face down in a pig trough. And he thought to himself, I wonder if my dad would take me back. And at the same time, in the same moment, there's a dad standing out on the out on the edge of the road and he's looking for his son to come back. I'll tell you this, no matter how far off track your life may be, you're not so far off track that you can't come back. You can't. You can't get so far away that you're out of God's reach. You can't. So, so maybe one day you were walking in the faith and, and you made a few choices and decisions and, and now you don't know where you, you find yourself in a place that you never thought you would be. You can come back, no matter where you are. You can always come back. For others who are, who are here today or listening to this or are faithful, you've been following the Lord, you've been walking with the Lord, you've been, but, but man, it's hard. I want to be faithful, but man, I didn't think I was going to have to endure this. I didn't think I didn't think life would bring me this. I just want to encourage you. Just the same words that that Abram probably been hungry hungry to hear is, stay faithful. Stay faithful. Remember where you were, what you were called to. You don't have to have all the answers. He says, but you can trust the one that has the answers. Trust me. If you're faithful and you're going through hard, a hard season of life, I just want to encourage you that where you are doesn't define you. It's the one you worship. It's the one who gets to do that. He says he loves you. Stay faithful. For others... For others who are lost, your life, you think, is, is being measured by how successful you are or you are not, by how comfortable your retirement is or it is not. I just want to say that your life has eternal value, that your life is worth more than you can dream or imagine, that you don't, you should, don't listen to culture that tells you that, that your worth is determined by your wallet. It's not. Jesus doesn't measure us by our wallets, by our wealth. Those are blessings from God that we get to use for His glory, and that's it. God measures our heart. And get this. He doesn't measure your heart by its goodness. Because none of our hearts are good enough. He measures our hearts. He measures your heart. By its openness. Its openness to be transformed by his love. He gives you the faith to accept it. So I'd like to pray for you. For you all, no matter where you are. If you're if you've slidden back or or you're 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 in the fight, or if you're new to this whole thing, I'd like to pray for you all. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the life of Abram and that we can see ourselves in it, Father. I ask you, God, that you would lead, guide, 
and direct our lives. That we would, that our living would glorify you. God, that our faithfulness would be sure. No matter, even in the darkest days. God, that we wouldn't confuse our success or our what we what appears as success as your approval. But God, we'd be willing to, to question, am I in step with your will? Is this blessing, is this blessing, what can I do with this blessing? Not as a pat on the back, but as just a gift from you. It's to be used for your glory here in this life. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in us and through us and even in spite of us, God. You are good. And your goodness, God, knows no bounds. We thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to, uh, oh, we're going to have our benediction here in just a moment. But before we do, Tom's reminding me that uh, he's asking for if you're a trustee or if you're a trustee, you can hang around after church for just a minute. Go over and find Tom. He's got he's got a question for you. All right? Amen? Amen. So if you would, join me for a benediction. It's up here on the screen, but you probably know it by now. Uh, come on, y'all. Stand up. Life is much more than an accident. Wherever I go, I believe God needs you. The purpose for me being here, Christ, alive in me, wants to do something through me. Here I am. Be this, doing this grace.